Secure Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full informed investment decision. This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMV. Now, here's Joe Anderson and Big Al Clopine. Hey, welcome back to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth, Hour 2. My name's Joe Anderson, Certified Financial Planner with Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. Uh, stick around. Next segment, we got Larry Swedrow. Uh, Larry's been on the show many, many times. He's written several books on investing and uh, runs a company. He's a director of research uh, that manages about, what, close to $20 billion. Yeah, pretty close to that. Um, very well known. He writes blogs for ETF.com, mutual fund.com. Um, we've given out, uh, Al and I wrote the forward. On one of his books? Yeah. Imagine that, huh? Yeah. Uh, think, act, and invest like Warren Buffett? Correct. Is that the name? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but no, Larry's great. I want to dive in and talk a little bit about recency bias. We'll talk about the markets. What uh, well, there's a lot of concerns, you know, with what's going on in the overall market, and um, what should people be doing, and uh, so we'll get his input on what his um, philosophy is, what um, you know you should be doing with your money. So stick around for Larry Swedrow. Um, Al, you wrote this, uh, or you read? Yeah, I read this article this week on something uh, that we specialize in. Well, it is, and you know, people are concerned about the market, but people are also concerned about how do they create a retirement income, cash flow, tax efficiently, tax efficiently that's going to last a lifetime. And I ran across this article: how to manage tax efficient drawdowns in retirement. That's that, pretty much what we do. That's great. All right. So then, uh, so a couple things in it. They start, the conventional wisdom goes like this. Take distributions first from taxable accounts, such as your brokerage accounts, then from tax-deferred accounts, like your IRAs, 401ks. Have you heard that before, Jim? That is the rule of thumb for most <laughs> advisory firms. Because yes. it makes sense, because here's what the, the, the uh, if you go back, it's like, okay, well, here, you want to continue to defer your your tax deferred accounts because all of that money's compounding tax deferred. Yeah, and why why pay taxes before you have to? Right, right? and then so that that compounding effect, if you take the IRS out of the game, right. you know that's just more money compounding on itself for you later. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so, but then the article goes on to say some uh, advisors advocate uh, so called tax smoothing. Never heard that term before, but it makes sense. Or managing distributions over time to pay some taxes along the way rather than deferring taxes for as long as possible. And the concept there, it's pretty logical when you think about it because if you're retired, then maybe you're not even taking Social Security yet. You're just living off your savings or your brokerage account, and your taxes are basically nothing. In fact, maybe you got negative taxable income because you got more deductions than income, and you're thinking, this is great. I'm retired, and I don't know what Joe and I were talking about. Taxes are lower. In fact, I don't pay any taxes, right? But then what happens? A few years pass. You start taking Social Security. You hit 70 and a half. That's when your required minimum distributions kick in. All of a sudden, you're in high tax brackets just out of nowhere. And so the concept is this. Rather than 
being in these high brackets for the rest of your life, why not try to smooth the taxes out? Why not try to take some money out of your 401ks, your IRAs, while you're in low brackets? Maybe pay 10% tax. Maybe pay 15% tax on some of your income. Some of you may want to fill up the 25% bracket because of the amounts that you have in your IRAs. So that what you do is you end up avoiding much higher tax brackets later. It's actually very logical. And when you plot this out, as we do, you end up with much more money in your pocket over your lifetime, much more money to spend, much more money to give to the kids when you pass away, much more extra just in case there's emergencies, long-term care stays, things like that. It really works out pretty nicely. Yeah, we like to yeah, smooth out the taxes. Um, and you have to look forward, though, to do that. You know, then you have to understand the tax code, and you have to understand, you know, what is going on. Um, you know, what tax bracket that you're in, Boy, that's, and what that's makes sense to pull first, and what makes sense to defer, and what makes sense to maybe transfer money into Roths versus not, and looking at how much money actually needs to be pulled from the portfolio. How is your Social Security going to be taxed? Do you have a pension? Maybe real estate income. How is all of this kind of working together for you? Yeah, exactly right. And boy, Social Security is one of those strange things, Joe, where if you don't have any other income, your Social Security is likely tax-free. But if you have a little bit of income or or a lot of income, maybe 50% of your Social Security income is taxable. Or in many cases, when you make uh, not even a huge amount of income, but 85% of your Social Security income is taxable. And so... Here's this weird thing that happens when you're in lower tax brackets. It's like you're going along, your Social Security is not taxable, and all of a sudden you got, I don't know, you got $5,000 of extra income for whatever reason. Okay, So that shows up on your tax return. And that extra income makes more of your Social Security income taxable. So you got to pay tax on the $5,000 of extra income that you have, and you got to pay tax on maybe $2,500 of Social Security that you didn't have to pay tax on before. So it's... You're saying $5,000 of income, but now I'm paying tax on 7500 So what I'm telling you is even though you're in low brackets, you are in a pretty high effective rate, a high marginal rate, right. I, sh- I should say. In, in, in putting this together, though, Al, it's, it's so key because when it comes – there's changes in the Social Security law. So you absolutely want to make sure that you, you're aware of what is applicable for you. Uh, but then what is the claiming strategy? Do you take it right away or do you push this thing off? Because you're still, if you push it off, you get that 8% retirement credit, right? So it's um, 8% increase per year on your overall benefit from full retirement age to age 70. So does it make sense to push that off, not take it, take distributions from maybe your IRA account? Because um, when it comes to Social Security, only 85% of it's going to be taxed, plus the state of California doesn't tax it. Exactly. So if you're not looking at taxes, not looking at your other income, not looking at your retirement account, Right, you cannot have a fully engaged right social security strategy, and so what we offer, we have one of the most robust social security analysis when it comes to L taxes and social security. If you combine those two together, I mean, it is so huge. I mean, it's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, long term. Yeah, no question. And and the other thing, Joe, is whether you ought to be doing Roth conversions right now, and you probably should because you get some money out of these retirement accounts, you get it into tax-free, and so less of your Social Security is taxable down the road in the future. All right, don't go anywhere. we got Larry Swedger on deck. Uh show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll be back in just a second. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. 
Uh, Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner, alongside uh, Alan Pulpine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, once again, we got our good friend Larry Swedro on the line. Uh, Larry's been with us for the last uh, several years, bringing perspective uh, in the current markets. Uh, Larry, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you. Hey, you know what? I had an interesting conversation with a client last week, and she goes to me, Joe, I do not want any emerging markets. I do not want any international stocks. I do not want um, any commodities out of my portfolio. And um, what would you say to my client, or let's say if a prospective client said that to you, what type of information, or, or how would you enlighten this individual? Well, uh, the first thing I would say is that's an expected uh, question. Uh, I'm getting exactly the same questions from many uh, people, uh, and I fully expect them, based on my 20 years of experience, uh, in my book, uh, Investment Mistakes Even Smart People Make and How to Avoid Them, one of the 77 mistakes that people make, and it's one of the most common ones, is one I call making the mistake of recency. So what investors tend to do, Joe, as we know, is they tend to buy after periods of strong performance, which means they're buying when prices are high, valuations are high, and expected returns are low, and then they tend to sell after periods of poor performance, which means that valuations are relatively low and expected returns are not high. Now, rationally, if you told an investor they were buying high and selling low, you know, they would agree that that's a pretty dumb strategy, but yet we know that that's exactly what the average investor does. And that's why the research shows, shockingly, that individual investors on average are such bad investors that they actually underperform the very mutual funds in which they invest. Yeah, by a significant amount. By a significant amount. So, for example, here's uh, what you might show a client. Uh, I would say to them that we know that there is a direct relationship between price-earnings ratios and other value metrics and future returns. They are negatively related. By that, I mean the higher the P.E. ratio, the lower the future returns. And today, clearly, emerging market stocks are trading at much lower valuations. Uh, so, for example, Vanguard's S&P 500 fund, if you own that, it's trading at a prospective P.E. ratio of close to 17 or so. Well, its emerging markets uh, index fund is trading at a P.E. ratio much closer to 11. So that's quite a dramatic difference uh, in valuation. And, of course, it's likely you're a client bought emerging market stocks when the P.E. ratios were higher, uh, meaning expected returns are lower. So I think a good question to ask that client, it's one I ask, is, so can you explain to me why you bought emerging market stocks when valuations were higher and expected returns are lower, and now you want to sell when expected returns are much higher because prices are much lower? I wouldn't wait with bated breath for the answer. <laughs> the problem is our stomachs 
uh, create so much anxiety that people end up doing irrational things. And, you know, if the logic doesn't uh, suffice, one of the things that I would suggest is the following. Uh, and that's why I wrote my book, uh, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett. People may not take advice from you or me, but if you ask them, okay, let's, you don't trust my advice or you're not certain of it, who do you think is the greatest investor of all time? And they almost always say Warren Buffett. So I, I then ask, okay, what do you think you should follow his advice? And, of course, the answer is yes. So I say to them, okay, here's what Warren Buffett said. One, never try to time the market. But two, if you can't resist my advice, then you want to buy when the herd, meaning everybody else, is panic selling. And now you're telling me you want to engage in exactly the behavior that Warren Buffett tells you not to do. Can you tell me now why you still believe that's a good strategy? And what do people say? And that's when you get this <laughs> exasperated look on their face. That you, there's no answer. They just sit there dumbstruck because they realize uh, generally that it's a problem, that they're really reacting emotionally because the key to successful investing is to understand what Napoleon uh, advised about military strategy. He said battles are never won on the field. They're won in the preparation stage. And what I mean by that when it comes to investing is that you have to have a well-thought-out plan, one that includes the virtual certainty that every asset class that you own at some point is going to go through a period of underperformance, potentially even a very long period and even a steep underperformance. Uh, and therefore, you have to have the discipline to stay the course living through those periods because there's no way that anyone knows when those things are going to happen. I'll give you one other thing that I do as a means of helping clients. So, that, okay, look, I know you're unhappy, and so am I, that emerging markets have underperformed for the last five years, the S&P 500, by 15% a year. And so you think that means, you know, we should get out of them. Why do I want to continue to own these things? So I said, let's just take a little trip back in time then, using that same logic, to the period ending December 31, 2007. And now let's look back at the five-year period before that using exactly that same logic. And during that period, the S&P 500 underperformed the Emerging Markets Index by almost 25% a year for the five years. So if you think today it makes sense to sell emerging markets when they've underperformed by 15%, just think how smart you would have thought uh, it was to get out of emerging, I mean, get into emerging markets in 2007 because it had outperformed by 25% a year for five years, and then it went on to underperform poorly. You have to just accept that markets are unpredictable, and you must have the discipline to stay the course. And you want to be a buyer when everyone else is panic selling, and you want to be a seller 
when everyone else is getting greedy. And, Joe, you and I know there's a simple, although not easy, way to do that, and that's called rebalancing your portfolio. You know, it's it's pretty difficult for, I think, individuals to do that, um, especially if we talk about, let's say, emerging markets right now. Um, in a lot of those countries, uh, with the, the price of oil where it is, and, you know, we're going through this global recession, and it's like, well, you, all you hear the is bad news, you know, and so they continue to think that, all right, well, here, it's going to continue to get worse. But I think what people don't understand is really how stocks are priced, and it's already the news. They're already forecasting bad things to continue to happen until some other news comes out that it's either going to be better or worse than what they've already expected. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. That's what people don't understand. They fail to differentiate, number one, between information and what I would call value-relevant information. Uh, If something is known by everybody, for example, think about a football team, uh, a game between, say, the best team in football last year was the Denver uh, Broncos, and they were playing one of the really bad teams in the league, maybe something like the the San Diego uh, Chargers. Oh, how about the San Diego? Uh, here we Rams. go. <laughs> throw that in there, or my LA, you know, my now LA Rams. Yeah, how's that going for you, Larry? You yeah. know, that's easy you're, you're to identify bitter. who's likely to win the game because we know who's got a better team, better quarterback, etc., better defense. But it doesn't do us any good because everybody knows it. And if you bet on the Broncos against San Diego, maybe you have to give the your Uh, counterparty 10 or 12 or 14 points or whatever and the point difference makes the odds of winning that bet equal even though the odds are that San Diego is going to lose the game but you could win your bet as long as they don't lose by more than say 14 points well the same thing is true about anything your client is going to tell you about why they think emerging markets are going to do poorly for example, oil prices, well, you know, and commodities are down and everything. So I ask the simple question, uh, do you think that the smart people at Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and all the hedge funds that now do over 90% of the trading and therefore they're setting prices, they're unaware of this information? And, of course, the answer is, of course they are, and therefore it must be already embedded in prices. So while it's information It's not value-relevant, and therefore you should ignore it. And all that really matters, as you said, is not whether the news is good or bad, but whether it's worse than expected. Let me add one last point. Since 2009, the news has not been good in the U.S. economy. We've had the worst recovery in the post-war era. And yet, the S&P 500 index is up well over 200%. And that's because, not that the news was good, but it wasn't as bad as people were expecting, as many people were worried we were headed for the next Great Depression. Hey, we're talking to Larry Swedro, folks. Uh, Don't go anywhere. Hey, Larry, can you stick around for one more segment? I sure can. All right, we'll be right back with Larry Swedro. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Now back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called your money or wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner, alongside Alan Klopine. We also have our good friend Larry Swedro. Uh, Larry, you wrote a great book uh, recently. It was called The Incredibly Shrinking Alpha. And um, th- there was a portion in that book. And uh, what I want to do is kind of help our listeners with a little history lesson, I guess, uh, when it comes to 
um, actively managing your overall portfolio. What we were talking about before the break was that people tend to get out of underperforming asset classes, get into higher performing asset classes because they believe that those asset classes are going to continue to do well. It's this recency bias. If things are doing well, they'll continue to do well. And if things are doing poorly, of course, they're going to continue to do poorly. So why stick in it and, and continue to throw good money after bad? But so they have this this notion that if I can get in and out of certain asset classes or get it in and out of certain markets, that's going to enhance my overall investment experience. But actually, the opposite is true. That, that's exactly right. Uh, and I, I and what's also important is you have to be able to identify information that the you know that other investors don't have, uh, and that has become more and more difficult. Well, that's insider information. If you get away with it, it's good. But if you get caught... No, it's not necessarily inside information. For example, if you go and do research and that others aren't doing and discover that some restaurant chain has got a new product and it's you know knocking the socks off of uh, the market and generating huge revenue and nobody else knows it, well, you've got an advantage. If you go and talk to drug companies and visit their labs, and nobody else knows that they've got this great product. That's not inside information. It's just that others haven't done their research. But the key is to understand how markets have changed over the last 70 years. Yeah, yeah right, because I think getting that type of information is very, very difficult with, uh, with, with all the vast information out there that I think another analyst probably has that same information. Yeah, it does seem like, Larry, it used to be easier. Peter Lynch days, for example, others kind of seem to have certain advantages. Yeah, and uh, that's one of the main themes in my book, The Incredible Shrinking Alpha, is 70 years ago, 90% of stocks were owned directly by individual investors in their brokerage accounts. Today, of course, individual investors still own large amounts of stocks, but they now own them generally indirectly through mutual funds or 401k plans and the mutual funds in them or other endowments, etc. So here's the key. In 1948, coming out of World War II, 10% of all uh, stocks were owned by institutional investors, 90 by individuals. Now, in order for any group of people to generate alpha, meaning outperformance against an appropriate benchmark, there has to be somebody on the other side of the trade. In other words, there has to be smart money has to be able to exploit dumb money. We know that the evidence is, and logically, we would expect the institutions to be the smart money and the individuals to be the dumb money. And so what has happened over the last 70 years, as investors have migrated away uh, from individual stock ownership, today individuals, the dumb money, only constitute about 10% of all stock ownership we're getting down to that kind of level now. And certainly 90% of the trading is done by the big institutions. So the, given that the active managers also have costs to cover, there's just not enough victims around at the table that they can exploit to cover their costs and generate alpha on a risk-adjusted basis. So the research shows this. 20 years ago, about 20% of active managers we're generating statistically significant alpha. I don't like those odds because that means I have an 80% chance of losing even before taxes. In taxable accounts, that number would have been about 10%. Today, the number before taxes is down to 2%, 
and after taxes probably 1%, that's 50 to 1 odds against being able to choose a fund that's going to outperform pre-tax and 100 to 1 after tax. And one of the main reasons is there's just not enough victims left around to exploit. Then what does someone do? So, all right, well, if that's the case, I think where people misunderstand, it's not necessarily the mutual fund, it's the allocation and how you're actually positioning the overall accounts towards different areas of the markets. Because certainly different areas of the markets over a longer period of time will outperform just due to the fact that stocks are priced on risk. Or, uh, I would agree fully, and there are also some behavioral levers that we know that in individual investors love to buy stocks that are called lottery tickets. They overpay persistently for stocks that generally have very poor returns but have the small chance of hitting a home run. You might think of these stocks as IPOs. Think of them as penny stocks, stocks in bankruptcy. I'll give you an example. A stock in bankruptcy still trades, and yet 99% of the time, in equity investors never receive one penny. And so they're overpriced. So here's the key. What investors need to focus on is not trying to choose a money manager or stocks that they think will outperform, because the evidence says the odds of you are doing so are incredibly small. They're virtually infinitesimal. However, what you do want to then focus on is putting your money in the asset classes that you believe are appropriate for you to hold. And uh, so if you want to get higher returns in the market, then you try to own more small and value stocks, but you do them in a way that's low cost and tax efficient, which means you avoid high cost active funds and you invest in low cost and tax efficient index and other passively managed funds. And I think that's where people kind of lose sight or don't really understand the full picture because I think the whole traditional view of investing is exciting. Right? Hey, you know, I've done the research, I found this stock, and you know what? I'm hoping for this huge rate of return. You know, and Alan's been a CPA for 35 years, and you know, you always hear about the winners, but you know, we look at their tax returns and we can see that there's more losers than winners. Well, we know all the evidence from every study done is that on average, individual investors clearly underperform. But of course, we also know one of the great human failings is that we have an all-too-human tendency to be overconfident of our skills. We all think we're better than average drivers, better than average stock pickers, and maybe even better than average lovers. So, you know, so we do things that are dumb, like try to beat the market when the odds say we are unlikely to do so. Here's a little amusing tale for your audience. The stocks that individuals buy, on average, go on to underperform after they buy them, and the stocks they sell go on to outperform after they sell them. And that's true of both men and women. And yet, even though women are equally bad at picking stocks, women have higher returns than men. Do you know the reason why? Yeah, because they don't have testosterone. That's it. And that's the high testosterone of males causes them to be overconfident, and that leads to too much trading. And the more you trade, of course, the worse you do because you just put more money in the broker's pocket uh, for doing the transactions, and the more chance you have to get it wrong, which you on average do. I mean, what happened with patience? 
You know what I mean? It's like no one really has patience anymore. People are texting and driving. We have 2,000, you know, um, TV channels, 24 news. You know, it's just why can't we just relax and go for a walk, Larry? That could be an, an explanation. And, and here's one other thing that I, you can tell your uh, clients and uh, your listeners can benefit from. There's actually studies done that show the more attention you pay to your portfolio, the more often you check your valuations, the worse your returns are, because checking can only cause you to do bad things like getting this idea that you need to trade when almost always you're better off doing nothing, with the exception of rebalancing once in a while. Yeah, it's kind of like um, a bar of soap. Have you ever heard of that analogy? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, you continue to look at your stocks. You, you tend to, you know, to do something, to use them. Same with the bar of soap. The more you look at it, use it, the less you have of it. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> I, I couldn't quite see the end of that. One. Yeah. I don't think Larry's going to use that one in his no, repertoire. I don't think he liked it that much. <laughs> so, so the key thing for investors, I think, is to understand that investing is really simple you need to have a well-thought-out plan to make sure you don't take more risk than you have the ability, willingness, and need to take. And I wrote a book, The Only Guide You'll Ever Need for the Right Financial Plan, to help you figure out how much stocks and bonds, how much U.S. versus international emerging markets, small value. It gives you questions to ask yourself and help to help you figure that out. And once you decide on that, on the right allocation for you, then you want to buy low-cost, passively managed funds that give you the exposures to these asset classes you want. And then you want to simply stay the course and rebalance. That's Larry Swedro, folks. Go to uh, what ETF.com is where you're writing mostly now, uh, nowadays, isn't it, Larry? Sites, ETF.com is one, and the other is MutualFunds.com. MutualFunds.com, ETF.com, Larry Swedro. Uh, thanks so much, Larry. Uh, we will um, hopefully talk to you again next month. Take care. All right, buddy. That's Larry Swedro, folks. We'll be back in just a second. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. My name's Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner with Alan Klopine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in, wrapping things up here. Uh, if you just missed it, we had Larry Swedro on for uh, last couple of segments. Uh, go to purefinancial.com if you want to get a snippet of uh, that interview that we had with Larry. Um, if you want more information on Larry Swedro, you can always go to mutualfund.com or etf.com. Uh, he writes several different blogs in regards to investing on those two websites. Uh, Larry Swedro. Um, so I want to thank Larry very much uh, for joining us. Very, very busy man. Um, and it's always great to take um, you know a couple segments and, and talk to Larry once a month or so. It is especially when we kind of have a volatile market like we have. And he, the first thing he talked about was that recency bias, which is definitely prevalent. In other words, we we tend to think of what's happened in the last in the near term, the last few years, the last few months, and we think it will continue. And that's not necessarily a good way to invest. So here's what I want to challenge our listeners: um, is that if you're doing this on your own or if you're working with an advisor and you're seeing certain asset classes underperform all right 
Now, first of all, if you're in an actively managed mutual fund where that mutual fund is going anywhere that they think that the market is going to perform better than other areas, right? So they're buying and selling and they, you know, maybe a go anywhere fund, right? Or maybe it's a balanced fund or whatever. You know, the cost and fees of those funds are very, very high uh, comparatively to um, an alternative, uh, which you can package, let's say, small companies, large companies, value companies, growth companies, international companies, emerging market companies in a fairly low cost way. Right. So it's significantly less. So if you're in an actively managed strategy, I would highly encourage you to maybe look at an alternative um, that will get you more of a transparent look at what you're investing in. Because truly, the asset allocation is the most important component of your portfolio, given what your goals timeframes are. Now, and if your advisor is saying, hey, we're going to switch things up here a little bit on you. Let's go more bonds. Right. Or, hey, you know what, this asset class is really performing, so maybe we overweight this area of the overall market. I'm telling you, from doing this for close to 20 years, being a true fiduciary and understanding markets, is that they're doing the wrong thing. It might be something that you want to hear, right? Because they'll show you the, 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 the numbers and saying, hey, we're going to get out of this fund because it's down 10%, but let's go into this fund. Look at this. It's up 30%. You know, emotionally, it might feel good because you see that negative number. Let me get out of that negative number. I do not want to lose any more money here. And look at this positive number. Oh, that has to be a better investment. It's, it's the markets. The markets are unpredictable. They're different asset classes. You have to take a look at the, rust, uh, the, the risk adjusted return on your portfolio, making sure that you truly get the risk that you're taking and then buying into a fund that is already outperformed. You're buying high. So be careful. Everyone knows the adage of buying low, selling high. But I think a lot of times I hear advisory firms, I hear brokers, they're, oh, we're doing this, we're doing that. And I'm just cringing to myself. I'm like, well, yeah, that might feel good to the client of saying, hey, we're proactive here. The proactiveness is that you should be buying asset classes when they're low. You should be tax managing when it comes to tax loss harvesting. You should be doing Roth IRA conversions, getting those lower asset classes into a tax-free environment. So when they do recover, it's going to grow for you tax-free. You should be rebalancing, buying low, selling high. Get you know what, what, right now the S and P five hundred had a really good run. You might be overweighted there. Make sure you have the right allocation. Do that first. That's 96% of the variance of your return. Study after study has proven that. Then you want to manage your cost and fees. If you're in high cost actively funds, Larry pointed out that the, the, the odds are against you that those individual portfolio managers have any ability to beat the overall market or their benchmark. Right, because they're all competing against themselves. Right? Instead of the, 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 the yeah. exploitation of, of them exploiting the individual is very difficult to do now. Yeah, and that's interesting, Joe, because uh, when you think about it, as Larry said, in, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago, about 90% of all stocks were owned by individuals, you and me and everyone else. And now that's only about 10%. Everyone, the, the 90% now is institutions, mutual funds, Goldman Sachs, all kinds of the big institutions that are investing. Now, we own indirectly, right? Through mutual funds, through index funds, through ETFs, but we're we're it's it's like institutions that have all the same information. Especially now with the internet, people have and institutions all have the same information competing against each other. And what's happening 
is because they have all these people trying to figure out what stocks to buy and sell, it's expensive. They have to pay a lot of analysts, and they have to pass those costs on to you, and they can't even cover their costs. And if you don't believe me, you, look, you can look at study after study after study that will show you index funds or, or just straight indexes outperform 80 to 90% of those actively, actively traded accounts. Yeah, after fees and taxes. After fees and taxes. Not because they're not smart. They're very smart, but they can't even cover their fees and taxes. That's another thing. When you have a fund that's outside of a retirement account and the manager is buying and selling, that's causing short-term gains, which are the most expensive of gains. And all of a sudden now you're paying more in taxes. You consider the fees and the taxes, It's the, the odds are very much against you with those types of strategies. Right, so I think... Well, most people need some help with their investment strategy, to be t totally honest. Um, but there's a couple of different ways that you can receive help, right? You, in my opinion, you want to work with someone that will understand the drawdown of your portfolio, if any, how much income that needs to be pr produced, right? And then maximizing the overall rate of return with the least amount of risk and the least amount of cost and fees. Because if you have assets, you want certain amount of certain types of investments in your brokerage account versus in your retirement account. You want different types of investments in your Roth account versus your IRA account, right? So, and then if you have real estate, if you have pensions, if you have Social Security, all of this stuff has to intertwine. Because then, if you look at Dalbar, the Dalbar studies is looking at the investor behavior versus the investments performance, right? So you have the investor versus the investment. Most times, the investor significantly underperforms. I just saw a study um, Friday morning. It was close to nine, um, no, seven percent over the last ten years. So think about that: seven percent rate of return that is on the table. They're taking all the risk of the market out, but they're getting seven percent less than what the market is producing because of them getting in and out, in and out, in and out. And I'm so, using so, that terminology again, but they're yeah. getting in and out of the market. Yeah. So, but that. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, that that's the thing though. It, so the investment maybe is earning let's just say 11%, but they're earning 4 because they're doing just the opposite of what they should be doing. They're buying the hot asset classes, so they're buying high and they're selling the ones that have underperformed, right? So they're selling low and they just keep repeating because these asset classes keep flipping around. All right, that's it. For Big Al, I'm Joe Anderson. Have a wonderful weekend everyone. Show's called Your Money or Wealth.